Good morning. What a beautiful song. I haven't heard her, Jenny sing that song before, and it's a real blessing. And I've got a question before we start, before we pray, and before we get on with the message. But based on listening to that song, have you found that Jesus is all that you need? Have you found him to be there for you in life, in everything that you've gone through? Think about this. If you have a crisis in your life, something major, a catastrophe, a traumatic experience, a major thing, who is the first person you turn to? Is it to your wife? Is it to your husband? Is it to a friend? Or is it to the Lord Jesus Christ? He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He loves us so much. We have to turn to him for everything because he loves us, he died for us, and he provides for us everything that we need in life. So whatever we go through in life, he shares our sorrows with us. He shares our joys with us. We had a joyful experience this morning with Ray and Teresa. They're getting married. And what, a, what can be more joyful than that? Well, the Lord is in it. And when the Lord is in it in our lives, when he's right there with us, that brings the greatest joy and encouragement we could ever have in our lives. Shall we just open in a word of prayer? Father, we're so thankful this morning that we have your word in our hands and we have the freedom to proclaim it. And we pray as we hear the word this morning that it will come alive to our hearts by the Holy Spirit, that you will challenge us and convict us and encourage us today. And we just pray, Heavenly Father, that you will hide me behind the cross, that the Lord Jesus will be lifted up, will be honored, will be glorified today. And we pray that the word spoken will be your words, Lord, to directly to every heart in a special way. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, it's a wonderful thing that we have the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. And there are many churches out there today that preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today they're celebrating the Lord's Supper as we did. Today they're proclaiming the gospel. They're teaching the word of God. And we thank the Lord for our country and for the many churches there are and for those who are proclaiming the truth and standing for the truth. But sadly, as you look at Christendom today, you look at Christianity today, you look around and it's very sad because you don't see people, believers, having a full commitment to Christ. Somehow, they have 50% commitment or 60% commitment. Some may even have 90% commitment. But the Lord requires 100% commitment. Nothing less than that will work. And He wants us to give our lives to Him that way. Many times over in the Scripture, when the Lord went out to call His disciples, He called them with two words, follow Me. He didn't explain why. He didn't say, well, this is going to happen and this is going to happen in your life and this is going to happen and I'm going to do this. No. He says, follow me and leave it all in my hands. I like what Charles Stanley says in his messages because he always says, obey God and leave all the rest to Him. Because it does. When we obey God and we follow Him, He will take care of us. There's a beautiful verse in John 12:26 that says, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. For where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him will my father honor. We we are followers of Christ. The, The term disciple means a follower of Christ. 
And when you get saved, you become a disciple of Christ, a believer in him. And that's what he wants to do in our lives. He wants us to follow him. And the title of our message today is simply commitment to following Christ. Commitment to following Christ. In a crisis, in a difficult time, whatever we're going through, we continue to follow Christ. We love him. We trust him. And no matter what happens, we know he's involved in our lives and he allows it for a reason and he allows it for a purpose. So we don't get angry. We don't complain. We don't murmur. But we thank God for everything that he brings into our lives. And we say, Lord, I'm going to follow you. As the song says, no turning back. I love that hymn because it says, I have, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow, no turning back. Will you decide now to follow Jesus, no turning back? You see, the the hymn writer, he's talking about himself and then he turns the question out to the audience. He turns the question out to those who hear that hymn. Will you decide now to follow Jesus? Not tomorrow, not next week, maybe not in a month or so, maybe down the road when I get a little older, when I graduate from college or I get a job or I get married or things or when I retire People tend to put off that decision of following Christ and they put him at the end of their list and said where Christ needs to be at the first place on the list. He needs to be at the the first fruits of our lives. There's a story told of one of the most faithful members of a church and he was one of the most unlikely for that role. This man was deaf and mute. And he had never heard a single note of music nor a single syllable from the pastor's lips. He had never responded audibly to a worship service or hear the able, he was not able to, to hear the sermons or to feel the pat of a person's show on his shoulder. Yet this faithful man learned to communicate by scribbling on a little notebook that he carried faithfully with him. So one day, someone came up to him at the service and said to him, let's call his name uh, John. John, why do you attend the service? You can't sing. You can't hear the music. You can't hear the sermons. Nor respond if someone speaks to you except to scribble in your notebook. Why do you come? Why do you keep coming faithfully every service? If he was in our church, he'd be here on Sunday for the breaking of bread. He'd be here for the main service. He'd be here on Monday night for the prayer meeting or the women's Bible study. He'd be here on Wednesday night for for the Bible study together. He'd be there Thursday morning. He'd be there Friday for the groups if he was in that age group. He was committed. He was loyal. He was faithful. And so this man was curious. Why do you come? And this disabled man responded. We call his name John. I just want everyone to know whose side I'm on. Here was a deaf man, a mute man. He couldn't hear or anything, but he wanted people to know, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. I'm on the Lord's side. He saved me. And he was thankful he couldn't hear. He couldn't speak. He couldn't communicate except by writing in a little book. 
But doesn't it put to shame sometimes our commitment to Christ? We drag ourselves to the meeting. We drag ourselves to being committed to the Savior. He wants us to be loyal and faithful and committed to Him all the way. 100%. No turning back. We're going to read this morning a passage from the Gospel of John, chapter 6. You can follow it in your Bible or you can follow it on the screen, but it's a very moving passage. The Lord Jesus Christ is in Capernaum and he's preaching in the synagogue and he's preaching a very powerful message. And there's today, this day, which was the day that we're talking about when Jesus was there, was a day of decision for many people. And so we're going to read it together. John chapter 6, beginning at verse 48. Jesus at this point has been speaking to the people and we're going to bring in the narrative right kind of in the middle here, but it's a long chapter. It goes for 71 verses, one of the longest chapters in the New Testament. John chapter 6, beginning at verse 48. Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that you may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give him is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him By my Father. Verse 66. This verse makes me cry when I read it. It's, I think, one of the saddest verses in the whole Bible. It's so sad. Listen to these words. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Sad. Sad. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
Jesus answered and said, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is the devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him because he was being one of the twelve. May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts today. You see, there's three casts of characters in this passage. Three different groups besides Jesus. Number one, the twelve. The twelve disciples were there. Number two, a large group of other disciples. In other words, they were followers. They had followed Jesus where he went. And wherever Jesus went, he drew a crowd. There were throngs of people following. Well, these people had been following him for a while. And they were on the road. And they had heard his words. They had seen his miracles. They saw his love in action. And now they're coming to a crisis point in in a decision that they have to make. And then the third group were the Jews, and these were the religious leaders of the day. These were the Pharisees, the lawyers, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of this day. So they're all there in Capernaum. They're all listening to Jesus. They're all following along and following what he has to say. And we're going to look at three things this morning with regard to these disciples. The the second group, as it were, the, the disciples that were following, not of the twelve. We're going to see, number one, there was a commitment to be made. There was a commitment to be made. Secondly, there was a price to be paid. And third, there was a will to be obeyed. And that's exactly the choice that it comes down to in our lives. It is a personal decision to accept Christ. It's a personal decision to commit our lives to Him, our hearts to Him, and be born again. It's not something, well, you know, I'll try Jesus. And if he doesn't work, then I'll go on to something else, some other religion, some other way. No, you don't just try Jesus. You don't just take a taste of him. You have to partake. You have to believe. You have to commit your whole life to him. No turning back. And that's exactly what the Lord wants from us as well. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the living bread that came down of heaven. Don't forget in the Old Testament that They had the manna. The manna came down from heaven and it fed the people while they were in the wilderness. They would eat the manna every day and it sustained them for 40 years. God sent the manna to them. They gathered it up. They ate it. And that was special. And all the Israelites knew it. But Jesus said, I've got something better for you than manna. Because manna, they had to eat it every day to sustain them, to keep them going. But once you partake of Jesus, you're eternally satisfied. You're eternally full. You don't need anything else from this world. You're not going to turn to something or someone else once you meet the Savior. Once your life has changed. Randy spoke about Zacchaeus last week. You think Zacchaeus had that great experience and had had got saved and then he had the people over to his house and he says, I'll give back to you, Lord, if I've wronged anybody or defrauded anybody four times as much. You think the next week he went back to the same job and went back to the same life and went back doing it over again. I guess I'll just go back. No, his life was changed. It was revolutionized. And when you come to Christ, your life's not going to be the same again. But if you're here today and your life never changed, Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you're not truly born again. You need to accept Him as your Savior and then He will change your life. And then you will be willing to say, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. 
Jesus in this passage of Scripture talks about the crucifixion. He talks about going to the cross. He's going to lay down His body. He's going to lay down His blood for us to save us. And He talks about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. He's not literally talking about doing that. That would go against everything of Scripture and everything from the law and everything. No. He's talking about a spiritual relationship we have with Him. That we partake of that. We accept Jesus as our Savior. We believe in Him. And we, we follow Him in our lives. And we're saved. That's what He is talking about. But these disciples, they got confused. They start murmuring about it. They say, how can this man, how can we eat His blood? How, uh, drink His blood. How can we eat his, his body? What is He talking about? This is a hard thing. H.A. Ironside in his commentary said, what does He mean by this? How can this man give us his flesh to eat? In verse 52, Ironside said, what did he mean? Well, throughout the church age, he has shown us to eat the bread of life is to receive him by faith. It is to receive implicitly what the Holy Spirit reveals concerning the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus on Calvary's cross. That upon that tree, his precious body was given for us and his blood was poured out on the cross, and it has atoned for our sins. We are then eating His flesh and drinking His blood spiritually. That's what we do when we come to Christ. And He is asking for us a full commitment to Him. Full commitment. When you come to Christ, you don't just, like you're going into the water, right? You don't just put your little toe in and say, well, that's enough. No. You have to dive into the water. You have to dive into the water. And it does take faith. And when we, when we dive into Christ, He's there for us with open arms to love us, to forgive us, to cleanse us, to give us new life, to give us new hope and purpose. I mean, how does anybody in life go through crises without Christ? I'd like to know. I'd like to know how you face the doctor when he says you have terminal cancer. I'd like to know that. I'd like to know how it, how you face the loss of a loved one that you have spent your whole life with, it seems. Most of your whole life. How do you do that? I'd like to know how you face the fact that you've lost your job after so many years. I'd like to know how you face these things without Christ. People face them in different ways. They turn to alcohol. They turn to drugs. They turn to psychologists and psychiatrists. They're looking for answers. Jesus has the answer. To everything. He says, I am concerned about your soul first, then your body. He's concerned about our spirit, soul, and body. And He's concerned about our lives. And He wants us to be truly committed to Him in all that we do. But it's so sad because these disciples, they start thinking, they say, this is a hard saying. He's speaking something that's very difficult here. What are we going to do? And these people were listening. And as I said, verse 60 uh, is when they said, Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And 61 says, When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? You know, some people get offended by Jesus. They get offended by his words. And really, he wants people to come to that place where you are offended, where you are convicted, where you see yourself as a sinner. Does it offend you if I say you're a sinner? It's not me saying it. God says it. He says, I'm a sinner too. And it says that we need to be saved. 
And sometimes it's offensive. That little word sin is so offensive to people. There are churches that don't like to use that term in their, behind the pulpit. They don't want to use that term, sin. It's unpopular. They don't want to use the term hell, that people go to hell. But the Bible is clear. If you reject Christ, you don't accept him as your savior, you're going to end up in hell. We're all going to die. We're all going to change addresses. We're either going to change our address to heaven and be with the Lord forever if we're saved. Or we're going to change addresses and go to hell and be away from his presence. But it's our choice. If we accept Christ, we can be saved and go to heaven. We can have that personal relationship with him. And he wants us to have it. And these people, it's so sad because they're so close. They'd been listening to Jesus' words for a long time. They'd seen his miracles. They'd seen his signs and wonders. And yet, look how sad it is in verse 66. That's why I call it the saddest verse in the Bible. It may not be the saddest. There may be other very sad verses. But to me, this is one of the saddest. It says, from that time, many of his disciples, a few, no, a couple, no, many of his disciples, not all of them, but many of them went back and walked with him no more. That is sad, folks. That is that is tragic. They were there. They could have been saved. They could have been followers of the Lord all the way to the end and been born again, but they stopped short. The devil wants you to stop short. He doesn't want you to receive Christ today. He said, well, let me think about it, Dean. Let, let me think about it. I'll go home. I'll sleep on it. I'll think about it some more. How do you know that when you walk out that door that you might not get hit by a car or something could happen? God forbid, but it could happen. People die Every day, young people, older people. That's why the decision we make for Christ to accept him has to be done right now while we have our mental faculties, while we have the ability, while we have the time. Because there'll come a time when death knocks and it'll be too late. It'll be too late. Remember when, Mo, when Noah had the ark, they built the ark and he had been proclaiming for 120 years a flood was coming and God's judgment was coming and the people laughed and they didn't believe. Well, they did believe when it started to rain. And it says they started to knock on the ark. Let us in, let us in. It's raining, it's pouring out here. Sorry, God had shut the door. It says God himself shut the door to the ark. There will be coming a day where God will shut the door and it can't be opened again. Once you die, or once the rapture happens, it's over. No more chance for decision. We have to make the decision now. We can't waver in our commitment. Ironside also said they were willing to take Jesus as a teacher. They were ready to acknowledge that his life was a wonderful example, and they go about trying to follow his steps, but they do not own his saviorhood. They do not want his vicarious atonement. They're not willing or ready to believe that Jesus is God and that he is the God-man, that one blessed Savior. They didn't want it. They're ready to think of him as a martyr for truth, but they are not ready to admit that Christ died for their sins on the cross. There's no life in them, for there's no new birth unless one receives him as the incarnate Son of God dying on the cross for the redemption of the soul. You cannot just say that Jesus is a great teacher. You cannot say he's a great example, though he is. You can't just say 
that he taught some wonderful things and, and he, he affected history and many people were blessed by him. No, you have to accept him as Lord and as Savior. That he came to die for you and he came to die for me on the cross. And when we accept him that way, that is true commitment of the heart to him. We're born again and we have a life to live. There's a commitment to be made. There is a commitment to be made. Are you willing to make it? Are you willing to make that commitment? You know, in life, people look for committed people. If you have a football team, you don't want somebody who's just this prima donna who has all the talent in the world but doesn't put forth the effort. Remember a few years ago, Randy Moss was a wide receiver and he played for the Minnesota Vikings. And they used to say, and I never understood this. I mean, I'm a big football fan. I know a lot about football, but I never understood that. He used to take plays off. He used to take plays off. In other words, if he wasn't in the play to catch the ball, he took it off. In other words, he lagged. He, he, he sloughed off. He didn't care. You know what separated him from a receiver like Jerry Rice? Jerry Rice never took a playoff. He never took a day off. He worked hard. He was the ultimate competitor and the ultimate person who worked so hard. They were quite a contrast because those who don't know the game of football, when you're a wide receiver, you always want to catch the ball. They all want to catch it, but they don't. They can't all catch it every play. So the wide receiver has responsibilities on the plays he doesn't catch. Right. What is he supposed to do? He's supposed to block downfield for his teammates. He's supposed to run the route the right way to the right place because he's supposed to camouflage. So he's makes people think he's going to catch it when his teammate's going to catch it on another place on the field. So the wide receiver is not just there to catch it. He's there to block. He's there to do other assignments. Randy Moss would take plays off. He wouldn't do those other things, those hard things like blocking. Blocking is not easy. If you go to block somebody who weighs 300 pounds, coming at you so fast, and you have to block that person, that's not an easy thing to do. But because... A wide receiver is committed to the team and to winning. He does those other things besides just catch the ball. And the Lord wants us to be committed to him. It may not be our turn. It, he may not call our number to do something, but we're there to support. We come to church. We may not be the speaker. We may not be the singer. We may not be the Sunday school teacher. We may not be the helper at the, at the refreshment time or, or doing different things, but we're there to support the Lord. We're there to support the Lord's work. We're there to support our fellow believers. And when we do that, we don't take plays off. We don't. We give it our all. We're committed fully and completely to him. It's so sad. Many of his disciples, when they heard this, they, they went back and didn't follow. It's sad. It is so sad. Verse 64 is, in, is an amazing verse too. It says, but there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. Jesus knew from the foundation of the world that this day would come and that these disciples would leave him and desert him and forsake him and go back, never to come back again. He knew that. He also knew who they were who really were dedicated, the twelve, actually the eleven, and he also knew Judas was going to betray him. Can you imagine living around Judas for three years? Jesus called him as a disciple and he knew, Jesus knew that he would betray him. But he loved Judas. He did everything for Judas like he did for the others. He even gave Judas the responsibility of taking care of the money. 
knowing that he would pilfer from it, knowing he would steal from it, knowing that that money, because he gave him a chance. He gave him a chance. It wasn't God's will for Judas to betray Christ and to, and to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. It wasn't God's will. And Jesus' love reaches out to you and you can never go too far. And if you're here today and you say, well, Dean, this is great, but you don't know what I've done in my life. You don't know how bad I've been. You don't know some of the things I, I've done. Maybe not. Maybe I don't. God does. He knows everything about it. He can see right into your heart today. Right into your heart today. And He sees whether you're saved or not or He sees whether you're not. He sees whether you're fully committed to Him or not. He knows how much of your heart you've given. Now, we come all to church on Sunday and we all say, yeah, we're all for Jesus and we sing that song. All for Jesus, I surrender. I surrender all. We sing it. But do we mean it? When we walk through those doors, do we have a different life than we have when we walk this way as we, when we go the other way? It's a commitment. It's a true commitment that the Lord is asking for. And He's asking for your commitment and He's asking for my commitment. It gets convicting. And if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Christ and you've, you've kept putting it off and putting it off and you've come to church, I have some good news for you. You came on the right time. You came on the right day. You came at the moment in eternity that is a crisis point. Don't be like these disciples that turned away, that deserted Jesus and left. Don't walk out the door saying, well, goodbye, enjoyed it, and never come. Jesus wants us to accept Him as our Lord and Savior. It's not going to be a popular decision because Christianity is not popular. When you accept Christ and you fully commit your life to Him, it's not going to be popular. It's never been popular from the days all the way from Genesis to Revelation. It's always been a few that are saved. Always been a, a remnant, a small number. And it's true today. Jesus divides people right down the middle. You're either with Him or you're against Him. There's no in-between. You're either saved or you're unsaved. There's no in-between, no gray area. It's black or white. The Lord Jesus said some very sobering words in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 when He said, Enter the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many are those who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. You can take that broad road. In fact, we're born on that broad road and it leads to destruction. Every, so many are on it though. It, it seems like that has to be the right way, right? Because everybody's doing it. We always, uh, kids grow up, right? Teenagers and everything. They say, but mom, everybody's doing it. Dad, I'm not the only one. This can't be wrong. Here's a good tip. If everybody's doing it, think twice because maybe it is wrong. And in many cases, that's the case. Many cases, it is the case. Not always. Not always. But in this case, it's wrong because the broad road leads where? To destruction. It leads to destruction. And it says many are on that road. Many are on that road. And unless you surrender your life to Christ, accept Him as Lord and Savior and get onto that narrow road, you're going to lead to death. But if you get onto the narrow road, go through the narrow gate, it leads to eternal life. 
Salvation is a free gift. We can't earn it. We can't merit it. It's not up to us to do anything except to believe in Jesus that He died on the cross for our sins. We repent of our sins. We say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I repent. I turn around. That's what repentance is. It's a 180 degree turn. We're heading on that broad road that leads to destruction. We repent. We turn around to Jesus. His arms are open wide. He says, I love you. I'll forgive you. You think all those things about what you did were bad? And they, they were bad. But when I come, I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to forget them. Just like they never happened. Because all those sins were laid on Jesus. He bore them on the cross so that we can be free from them forever and have everlasting life. Yes, there's a commitment to be made and there's a price to be paid. And there's a will to be obeyed. If we're going to follow Jesus, we have to do His will, not our will. You know, we're we're born with a will. And some of us have a very strong will. And I'm willing to say I have a strong will. Many of us are saying the same thing. With that strong will, right, Mike, comes a hard head, right? (laughs) And sometimes to get through to that hard head and to get through that stubborn will of Dean, the Lord has to bring some hard things into our life. If there's calm seas and everything's peaceful and going along just hunky-dory, we're not going to get saved. We're not going to surrender to Christ. So He brings some storms into our life. He brings some hard times into our life. Some wake-up calls like we heard today. And when He does that, He does it because He loves us. He wants us to be saved and eternally with Him forever. So He brings these things into our lives. But we have to make the commitment, the true commitment. I read a story and I kind of laughed about it, but it really is an amazing story. Uh, Dr. Tony Evans, many have heard of him. He's a good, good preacher and servant of the Lord. Well, one day he's telling the story of the Lone Ranger. And he says this, One day the Lone Ranger and Tonto were ambushed by a fierce group of savage Indians. They were on the rampage. So the Lone Ranger says to uh, Tonto, or or Tonto, I should say, says to the Lone Ranger, what do we do now, Kimasabi? The Lone Ranger says, let's go east. Let's go east. At every turn, the warriors cut off the exits. They had cut off the east way, the west way, the north way, and the south way. They were trapped. So finally, the Lone Ranger turns to Tonto and says, Tonto, what do we do now? Tonto replies, what do you mean, we, pale face? <laughs> You know, many of us are like that. Hey, I'm over here with them now. You're on your own, buddy. Is that commitment? Is that true loyalty? No, it's not. True loyalty is says, I'm going to follow Jesus. No turning back. I don't care what happens to me. I don't care what people say. I don't care what people think. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to accept him as my savior. I'm going to commit my whole life to him. And he is my all and all. We need a commitment that is 100%. There is a commitment that has to be made. There is a price that has to be paid. And there is a will that has to be obeyed. But can you imagine the Lord after seeing this mass exodus of so many disciples, what He does, He turns to the twelve and He says to them, do you also want to go away? Okay, here's their chance. Here's their chance now. Will there be any takers to say, yeah, I think I'm going to go too. I think they're right. This is a hard saying. I think they're right. This is not the kind of Messiah we've been hoping for. 
We were hoping for a Messiah that would come and overthrow the Romans. We were hoping for a Messiah that was strong, military Messiah. We were hoping for the kingdom to start right now and for us to be on top. And that wasn't the Messiah they saw. He's talking about crucifixion. He's talking to going to the cross. He's talking about this narrow way and this narrow gate and this hard life and serving and surrendering and all this. This is your chance now. But I love Peter. And I can't wait to meet Peter in heaven because I'm going to go up to Peter and I'm going to say, Brother Peter, I'm going to hug him and I'm going to say, I know you oftentimes said things that people would say. Maybe you put your foot in your mouth. Maybe you spoke out of turn. Maybe you did this. Maybe you did that. But Peter, I love you and I'll tell you why. Because when all the disciples were thinking and when all of them were wondering what you, you stood up, And notice what he says in verses 68 and 69. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter says, I'm standing with you, Lord. I'm not leaving. I'm going to follow you all the way. And all of us, I think we're agreed here. All of us, 12, we're not going anywhere. You have the words of eternal life. We turn to you. You have been our Savior. You have been our Lord. You have loved us. You have calmed the sea. You have done miracles. You have cast out demons. You have given the blind their sight, the the deaf their hearing, and all these miracles you did. We're not going to go to anybody else. We're going to go to you only. And what a tremendous statement he made. If you read in the New Testament, Peter and Martha were the two that made these two declarative statements that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'm thankful for Peter. I'm thankful for his decision. Yeah, he was bold. Yeah, he spoke out of turn. But he loved the Lord. And when the Holy Spirit came upon him on the day of Pentecost, he was the one who preached the message and 3,000 souls got saved. And he was the one, don't forget, who had denied the Lord how many times? Three times. But the Lord loved him and forgave him. And he said, Peter, I've got a mission for you to be on. I'm not going to cast you away because of that. I'm going to forgive you. And you're going to be fully committed to me. And you're going to preach the gospel. And you're going to win souls. And you're going to shepherd the the sheep. And you're going to care for the the congregation. And so Peter became a mighty man, totally committed to Christ. The devil tried to shipwreck him. He tried to destroy him. He tried to say, Peter, you're ruined. You're no good to Jesus anymore. You're out of here. But no, Jesus said, you have use. You have use. I love you. You have value to me. I'm going to use you in a miraculous way. And he did. So we can ask ourselves this morning, have I committed my life to Christ? Have I accepted him as my Lord and Savior? It's not too late. But it will be someday if we don't make that decision. And if we're Christians here this morning and we have been maybe walking not as close to the Lord as we should, we haven't been really following him with true commitment, with that 100% faith and commitment that he wants us to have, We can now bow our heads this morning and say, Lord, forgive me. I want to be renewed. I want to be revived. I want to go out of here today burning for Christ. I want to go out and tell the world that I'm on your side, Lord, that you saved me and that they can be saved also. And so we're looking today for people that are 100% committed. You know, that's one of the things that makes the pastor happy. We talked about that last week. 
What makes the pastor happy? Well, I'll tell you one thing. To see people saved, right? To see people committed to Christ. Not partially, not mostly, but 100%. That will make Adel happy. And guess what? It makes the Lord very happy. And so may the Lord help us today because the choice is ours. It's not an easy thing to be a committed follower of Christ. It's not. There is a price to be paid. There is a commitment to be made. There is a price to be paid. There is a will, His will, to obey. It's not going to be easy. But if we decide to follow Him, He'll give us the grace to overcome and be victorious and to be committed to Him fully, 100%. Shall we just close in a word of prayer? Father, we're so thankful for this word. It's so challenging to see these disciples, Lord, who followed you on that road, not the twelve, but the others, and they heard your voice, they heard your words, they saw your miracles and signs and wonders, and still they walked away. We can't understand it, Lord, until we look at our own sinful nature and we see ourselves like that. And there are many people in the world today that are hearing messages in churches, they're hearing it on the radio, on the television, and then they turn the TV off, they turn the message off, they walk out of church unchanged. Lord, help that not to be the case today. If there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, don't let them walk away. Let them come up to the front and talk to Adel. Let them be born again today. And Lord, help us as believers to be fully committed all the way to coming to church, to reading our word, to praying, to witnessing, to everything that we do for you. And we give you all the glory because you're worthy, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.